This is the Bible in One Year Express, Day 7. Your double blessing. I love the word mercy. I'm so thankful that God is a God of mercy. William Shakespeare captured something of the wonder of mercy in Portia's speech in The Merchant of Venice. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. You're blessed when you receive mercy and you're blessed when you're merciful to others. From Psalm 6 Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in anguish. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. I'm worn out with my groaning. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. Cry out for mercy. Are there times in your life when you're really struggling and nothing seems to go right? You feel faint, in agony, anguish, worn out, groaning, weeping, in tears, and weak with sorrow. At times, this may be caused by our own sin. At other times, it may be due to bereavement, sudden loss, relationship difficulties, family breakup, sickness, work issues, unemployment, or opposition. David also experienced difficult times, but in the midst of them, he cried out to God for mercy. Be merciful to me, Lord. He knew that God is a God of mercy. He prayed, save me for the sake of your steadfast love and mercy. Sometimes it seems that our difficulties will never come to an end. They seem to go on and on. When we're in a season of battle, we cry out like David. How long, Lord, how long? We cry out for mercy. And it does not seem as if God is listening, but he is. There will come a point when you can say with David, The Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. Lord, thank you for your unfailing love and mercy. Thank you that you hear my cry and accept my prayers. Be merciful to me, O Lord. New Testament from Matthew 5 and 6 Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Be merciful to others. Having mercy on others is right at the heart of Jesus' teaching. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Love is more than showing mercy, but mercy is an essential part of love. Jesus gives three reasons in the passage why you should be merciful towards those who've wronged you. First, to have mercy on your enemies is to imitate your Father in heaven, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. God's mercy extends to those who are hostile towards him. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Second, to have mercy like this marks you out from the world. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? We tend only to love people who are like us or whom we like. But you are called to be different. You're called to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer described as the extraordinary, the hallmark of the Christian. Third, there is a connection between forgiving and receiving forgiveness. We can't receive God's mercy ourselves and then show no mercy to others. We do not earn forgiveness by forgiving others, but Jesus says that our forgiveness of others is essential to receiving God's forgiveness from us. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Daily receive mercy and forgiveness, and daily have mercy and forgive others. Jesus also explains how you can express this mercy practically in what you do. He highlights the importance of prayer. He tells you to pray for those who persecute you. Praying for your enemies helps you to see them as God sees them. In prayer, you stand side by side with them, take their guilt and distress on yourself, and plead to God for them. Prayer is the litmus test of love. Coming into the light of God's presence reveals the true feelings in the depths of our hearts. The theme of mercy is also at the heart of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Of course, there's much else besides mercy in this prayer, which we'll look at later when we encounter it in the other Gospels. When we pray, Jesus teaches us to first keep it quiet. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role-play before God. Second, keep it honest. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. Third, keep it simple. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. Finally, mercy should also be at the heart of our giving. Generosity is a form of having mercy on others. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it quietly and unobtrusively. That's the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. Every time I read the Sermon on the Mount, I see how far short I fall, and I'm very aware my own need for mercy. Lord, thank you that you're merciful to me. Thank you that you forgive my sins. Lord, help me always to be merciful to others. 
Old Testament from Genesis 14 to 16. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Receive God's mercy. Two crucial passages in the Old Testament reading for today point to the way in which God's mercy is made possible. First, receive God's mercy through Jesus. It starts with what appears to be a rather strange and disconnected account of four kings defeating five kings. Then the connection is made with Abraham's nephew Lot being captured by the four kings and then rescued by Abraham. Then, mysteriously, Abraham, returning from his victory, is blessed by Melchizedek. This is expounded in the New Testament by the writer of the book of Hebrews, who explains that it all points forward to Jesus. Melchizedek's priesthood is superior to all the other priests in the Old Testament, the Levitical priesthood. Abraham, who was the great-grandfather of Levi, who was therefore in his loins, gave a tithe to Melchizedek. In other words, Levi recognized the superiority of Melchizedek. Melchizedek foreshadows Jesus, the great high priest, whose one perfect sacrifice on the cross made it possible for all our sins to be forgiven. Therefore, this brought to an end the need for the old priesthood and sacrificial system. The bread and wine foreshadow the bread and wine of the communion service. They point to the one perfect sacrifice of Jesus, whose body was broken and whose blood was shed so that you and I could be totally forgiven and receive God's mercy. Second, receive God's mercy by faith. The account then moves on to God's promises to Abraham, in spite of the fact that he and Sarah are old and childless. Their descendants are going to be as many as the stars they can count. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Not only are you forgiven, God in his mercy declares you set right with God. The New Testament often refers to this verse because it shows that mercy, forgiveness and righteousness are obtained by faith, that is, believing God. It's encouraging to see that in the New Testament, Abraham is listed by the writer of Hebrews as one of the great people of faith, even though in today's passage we see his faith was not entirely unwavering. When their prayers for a child do not seem to be answered, Abraham and Sarah hitch a plot to achieve God's ends by human means. They agree that Abraham should sleep with Hagar and Ishmael is conceived. One sin leads to another and Sarah ill-treats Hagar. This is the first time that God is called El Roy, the God who sees. It's easy to feel that you are forgotten by God, particularly at moments when, like Hagar, you feel unjustly treated. But knowing God is the God who sees can help you to live by faith. God is a God who finds you in the midst of the wilderness and sees you. The God who sees is a God of mercy. The New Testament suggests that God overlooks the sin of Sarah and Abraham and only remembers their faith. Lord, thank you for your amazing mercy made possible through the one perfect sacrifice of Jesus, our great high priest, dying for me. Thank you that I can never earn your mercy, but I receive it as a gift by faith. Pepper adds, Considering all that Abraham had been up to, 
which we see in Genesis 12, verse 10 to 20. It's amazing that God credited him with righteousness. There's hope for us all. So if you feel you have let God down in some way, know you too can have Jesus' righteousness.